The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Hello, welcome to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program today Rick Donahoe. He joins me in studio today. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for having me. Rick, I've been uh, pastoring you for a long time to write a book and come on the show, and and here you are, Rick. Uh, How (laughs) how did this happen? How did this actually occur? Well, Vic, it wouldn't have happened without you, mostly. But, um, yeah, I finally did get this book written. I've been working on it for I don't know how many years, 10 years or sort of something I never thought I'd do, and I still wonder why I did it, but here it is, whatever it is. Yeah. It's called Me and Clint. Me and Clint, yeah. And you've been telling me all these years that you're a farrier, and I don't know anything about horses or what a farrier does. I had no idea, Rick. For some reason, I thought, oh, he just does this for a hobby. I was wrong. You didn't know anything about it. You, you've joined most people in the world, and that's one of the reasons I did this is because even horse people, even seasonal horse people know so little about it. Most people just see this guy coming down their driveway. He stays for a couple hours, and he does his work. They don't know what he's doing, why he's doing it, why he's doing this or that. They write him out a big check, and he goes, and then they call him up six or eight weeks later to do it again. And um, that's one of the reasons I wrote this is because I, I've i never really read anything. I've read quite a few things along this line, but never where somebody explained what it was like really to be in the trenches. And you get a phone call and and you get an address and you show up. You have no idea who the people are, what the horses are going to be like. Um, there you are. Tell us what a farrier does. We've got people out there saying, what is a farrier? I've never even heard the word before. Oh, okay. Well, a farrier is a, is a horseshoer. A horseshoer is a guy that um, puts shoes, nails shoes on horses. And um, in, the, in the book, I try to explain some of these things. Um, it depends where you are. I've been called blacksmith, horseshoer, farrier. They all refer to the same type of person doing the same thing, the same trade, the farrier trade. <clears throat> and um, I guess a, a blacksmith is the old-time blacksmith that did everything. He fixed your wagon and he, and he uh, built fences and coyote traps and hinges and whatever he had to do. And he also could make a shoe and nail it on your horse beneath the spreading chestnut tree. Mm. And, and today, of course, we have two blacksmiths, one who welds at the welding shop. And, and then, like out west, I was known as a blacksmith. And on the phone book, it said Rick Donahoe, blacksmith. And then and then other places I've been, there, you're a horseshoer. And then you always hope you're going to be called a farrier, which is being a true student of the trade. I don't know if they licensed that. I think I heard where they might even license farriers anymore. But in the old days, they didn't. Somebody who really took it seriously, 
uh, about what they were doing. They could make a shoe, nail it on a horse to better whatever the horse wasn't doing quite right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Why do they even need shoes? I mean, what what's the point? Why, why do horses <clears throat> wear them, and when did they start doing that? The horse is a desert animal. They, they came up out of the desert. <clears throat> and, of course, they evolved without shoes, so why do they need them now? Well, now we're asking them to do things, to go places over rough ground and for periods of time, long distances that they wouldn't normally do. And we're asking them to do things that they wouldn't normally do, so we have to do something. At least like us wearing shoes. Why do we wear shoes? And... Um, Something like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> a lot of the work involves trimming their hooves. And this was mysterious to me. You mentioned a moment ago, every six to eight weeks. I know horses are expensive to keep, but when I read that in your book, that every six to eight weeks they needed to have the farrier come out and work on them, I thought, man, yeah. is that because their hooves have grown <clears throat> and they need to be trimmed? And, and tell us some of the other stuff that you need to, to look at. Well, their their feet grow, oh, maybe a quarter of an inch uh, uh, a month. It depends on their feet and how much they wear them down. If they have shoes on and they want to keep shoes on, they're going to ride them a lot or whatever, um, then you have to take the shoes off and trim the foot up, take off that additional growth, and then nail the shoe back on or else put new shoes on. Um, and if they if they're not shod, um, it depends on where they are. Like out west on the desert, they'd keep their feet pretty well whittled down. But in here, like in Ohio, where it's all soft ground, sometimes you'd have to take off a, an inch or more of the foot and get them back down to something that's more the way they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That they don't they don't get to wear it off naturally. So you have to take it off. My guest is Rick Donahoe. We're talking about his book, Me and Clint. The desert, I'm guessing there's something about the, the desert soil that, that wears down the hooves, that, <clears throat> that, that keeps them trimmed naturally because that's where they originated in the desert. And, and yeah. a horse that is not being cared for properly, does their hoof just keep growing and growing and growing and make it so that they can't even walk anymore? Well, if they don't wear off naturally, um, something like that would happen. They just keep growing and growing. Out on the desert, it's very residual, and it's frocky and residual, uh-huh. and they keep them worn down. So a lot of times when I'd pick up a foot on a desert horse, um, there would be nothing to take off. You'd just be looking for something to nail a shoe on. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. that, that, that would be many times. Whereas back here in the east, you know, there's... You, you're busy trimming off a lot of foot, and if if the foot's not trimmed, it can collect a lot of manure and 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 dirt, and and a lot of things happen. Thrush, a lot of bad things can happen to a foot if it can't clean itself. I see. Yeah. Rick Donahoe joins me. Rick, in the book, you talk about how you got started and, <laughs> and how you learned, and, and some of the tricks of the trade. And, and and you were really lucky. You met some mentors. There was a guy who. <laughs> who was standing around watching you one time, kind of a quiet guy, and it turned out he was one of the great farriers, right? Tell us how you got into this and how you learned, because it sounds like a really dangerous job. Well, that's why not too many people do it, and 
you don't always think it's like a lot of things. You don't think it's so dangerous when you start. You see somebody shoeing a horse, and and if it's your horse and if it's a gentle horse, you don't see that part of it. And 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 the dangerous part of it, it's just like anything else. It's like being an electrician or or a, a timber faller or anything that. Um, it's only a small percentage of the time, but it's that small percentage of the time that will do you in and your career or, or more. So, um, but most horses are pretty good to work on. You wonder why they are, you know, a horse that's dependent upon its speed and agility to survive on the desert. That's what they, how they evolve. You wonder why you can go up to a horse and pick up its foot. Uh-huh. And, but for some reason, you can. And um, So how'd you get started? I saw this guy shoeing a horse, and so I asked him, you know. Like everybody asked me, maybe a million times, was your father a horseshoer? I'll bet your father was a horseshoer. Well, no, mine wasn't, and his wasn't either. And, and how many people's father was what they're doing today? Vic, was your father doing what, what you're doing? My dad was an insurance man. And he would come home and he would talk about insurance at the dinner table. And I'd say, I do not want to be an insurance man. Well, there you go. This guy who was shoeing the horse, I said, was, you, was your father a horse shoer? No, he said, nope, sold insurance. <laughs> yeah. So you went to Texas to learn, right? I said, where did you learn how to do this? And he said, uh, horse shoeing school down in Texas. So I sent for a brochure and it said, um, it said make $60 a day and be your own boss. And I thought, oh my God, that was back in the, in the what was it, the late '60s, I guess. And I thought, sixty bucks a day and be your own boss. And so off I ran to Texas, and and um, that was the start of it. And tell us about your meeting this mentor, this this <clears throat> guy that was watching you one time, and you ended up following him around and and seeing what he did, and he taught you some tricks. Oh yeah. That was Nelson. That was that he, Nelson was from Mobile, Alabama. This was up in northern Alabama, and I was uh, I decided uh, I wanted to learn more about the horseshoe and the uh, racehorse part of this whole thing. I've been shoeing a few racehorses. I really didn't know much about it, and and so one winter I was just kind of shoeing my way along out through Oklahoma and whatever, and I met up with Nelson. I'd go I go to these horse shows and I'd set up. I'd put a piece of leather under my anvil to make it ring loud, and I'd start making shoes. And as I said in the book, it did very well, but um, it did draw a crowd. And one time at this show in northern Alabama, after everybody had gone on home, there was Nelson. And he, we got talking, and he looked over my rig and my tools, and he could he, he learned pretty quickly what I didn't know about the whole thing. And so, And I'd been sleeping in the back of my canopy and must look pretty pathetic because he took me back home with him down to mobile that's how you say it down there mobile <clears throat> and uh, and we I, I went with nelson i i'd pull shoes for him and trim for him and once in a while he let me tack on a shoe but he was one of the very best and uh, he was one of these guys they put on planes and fly off to dallas and denver to the big shows and uh-huh. and um so tell us some of these tricks he taught you, things that kept you alive. Well, one of the main things was he taught me about a way to get under a horse. Um, 
without getting directly under it. And I wondered why they never taught us this at the horseshoeing school. They had a way, they taught us to, like, especially under the back end of a horse, you got under there so you really couldn't get out. And um, <laughs> yeah, But he showed me a way to, I could stay on the outside of a horse. I had to learn how to become ambidextrous to do this. But um, when, you, when you get caught a few times under the back end of a horse, and ambidex and learning to be ambidextrous is a solution you learn pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, that and also how to use my hoof knife. He taught me how to use my hoof knife better so I didn't slice myself up. Um, I used to, I mentioned that uh, my first couple of years, I, I always say I didn't make much money in this business because I spent most of my time in the emergency <laughs> room. You, know? you, you got a few scars, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. My guest is Rick Donahoe. We're talking about his book. I guess you'd call this a memoir. It's called Me and Clint. Me and Clint. And, and t- tell us who Clint is. Everybody wants to know <coughs> who Clint is. They're saying, well, you keep talking about you and Clint. Who the heck is Clint? Well, Clint's just, he's an old horse. He was an old horse. Clint died. Uh I always wonder who would go first, me or Clint. But he went. Um, he went last year, and he was. Uh, I'd held on to him. He was just a nice old horse, and he was old and sore like I was. And we, and um, we just sort of put up with each other and helped each other. And he was my old pal. And it came down to. I used to do him along with a bunch of other horses down that way. It was down you know, about 20 miles out of town. But then they all dropped off, and it was just me and Clint. And so I kept him, and uh, it got harder over the years because it, because if you're not keeping up with this business, it um, you have to keep at it to keep in shape for it. It's uh-huh. something you're not, your body's not normally used to doing, hunkered down like that. and Using muscles that aren't naturally yeah, used. exactly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, and I really like the people. That's the main thing with this whole horse thing. You're not just dealing with horses. You're dealing with the people who own them. Uh-huh. And these were wonderful people, and um, and they really appreciated what I was doing and, um, and, and really had a nice place to do it, which is so important. And um, out of the sun and out of the wind and clean and a good solid place, a good tie and... You know, a lot of places aren't like that. And a lot of places, you wonder how you could do it at all. And that makes it more dangerous. It's dark, muddy, mm. um, dirty, manure things to trip over, hay bales and hoses and wheelbarrows and chickens that's, and goats. And That's the first thing you check out is the potential booby traps, right? That's the first thing I look for when I come onto a place is, is yeah. what might go wrong. I what board's going to pull away and knock you unconscious? Knock you unconscious. <laughs> right. Did that happen to you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that did happen. Yeah. You're listening to the book, Duck on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis, and uh, it's 91.3 on your dial. Community-owned radio for curious listeners. Rick Donahoe joins me. We're talking about his memoir, Me and Clint. There was only one guy who didn't pay you. I love this story. <clears throat> <laughs> I love what you did. The guy, he said he's going to pay you, but he never mailed you a check. No, he never made me a check. He was an old colonel. You know, he was, I think he was pretty used to having his way. And uh, 
Anyway, it was when I was still in Colorado, living back up in the hills there, and he lived up another canyon, and and I'd gone up and tacked some shoes on some of his dude strings, some dude horses he had, and he never sent me a check. And I was young and full of beans, you know, and I was, anyway, um, one morning I, as I said, I just got up on the Irish side of my bed. I ran up there and I yanked those shoes off. And I said, maybe I told a couple of wranglers who were standing there, told me that maybe I can't take back my work, but I, these shoes aren't paid for. I can take back my shoes. That's the only time I ever did that. But um, the only time I never got paid. Well, they were your shoes. They were my shoes. Let's talk about anvils, because you're an anvil guy. Don't you have an anvil collection? <laughs> yeah, I have a nice anvil. And, and you would actually make the shoes on the anvil. You'd actually hammer them out and heat them and do all that. Yeah, that's the way I started. Um, what you find is um, that, that's what we were taught in horseshoeing school, and I guess it's it's good to know um, not many guys or not many people do that anymore. It takes too much time. The horses get impatient, um, and they're really not that much better. Um, anymore, you can buy ready-made shoes that are really beautifully done, good nail holes. Um, they come with or without clips, which are a little addition, or without, with or without heels. You can, you can find pretty much what you want that's already made. It did come in handy that knowing how to work a forge and make a shoe, because uh, a lot of the times I used what we call hot shoes. They they just have extended heels and keg shoes or hot shoes, and you have to work them in the fire, and, um, and, and if you want heels, turn your heels or draw your clips or whatever you're doing. Uh, so it's a good thing to know, but you, it doesn't pay to do it. You can't charge that much extra to do it. Mm-hmm. And most people don't care if you do it or not. They don't really, most people really don't know what you're doing. And if I made special custom shoes and stood there and made them in front of somebody, which I've seen guys do, and I've done it myself. I mm-hmm. did it for several years like that. But um, pretty soon you see you can do just as well and make more money um, just using bought and shoes. Yeah. You write with a real sense of humor. And I love it when you make a mistake or, or somebody sees you do something and you're trying to cover it up. Like I think one time you talk about how you put the the shoes that were supposed to be on the front, on the back, or vice versa, <laughs> and, and you cover that up. Another time I think the whole idea of putting nails in the horse's feet, to me, I'm like, oh, that would make me so nervous. I couldn't even do it. And, and you, I think you're putting in a nail one time, and, and I think the horse started bleeding, and, and they were watching you, and, and – uh, you said, no, that's my blood, Yeah. right? You were covering up. Yeah, I said, I said, don't worry. It's, it's mine. That's just that's my blood. I'm okay. Yeah, and then, then people are all right with it. You know? <laughs> right. Oh, it's not the horse. Okay. I think I was trimming on the horse, and uh, you know, I trimmed him down a little bit too far or something. Okay. Sometimes it's just a matter of a, <clears throat> a rasp stroke, whether or not you're going to hit blood or not. Well, tell us about the nails. There's a real technique to that and a real knowledge of what you're doing, not to put them in too far. And do they do, really put them at an angle or something and bend them? What, tell us how they do that. Well, everybody's got their, everybody's got their own way of doing it. And uh, nails are, anymore, they're 
they're um, beveled at the very end. So you want to make just on one side of the of the tip of the nail. So you've got to make sure you've got that nail faced the right way. And they're designed so you, it'd be hard to make a mistake. <clears throat> but, you, you know, when you're driving that nail, that bevel on the end of the nail brings that out. And if you got that nail turned around, it would go into the horse's foot. Mm. And then you'd have a problem. Mm -hmm. But everybody has their own way of doing it. Some people, uh, it's the hardest part. It's the, one of the hardest parts of the whole deal is driving your nails and getting them right and the right place. And you know, as far as the public's concerned, you don't want to have them looking good. You want to have a nice straight line of nails. People don't know anything about it, so they go a lot by looks. Right. And and looks aren't everything in this game. Uh, you can have a, a pretty ugly-looking foot that's, that's pretty good. That might be all you can get, you know. Sure. Well, don't you have some, an account in there where you talk about how someone had looked at a job that you'd done and <clears throat> some third party made some criticism of it, and then you went back and you didn't change anything. <laughs> you just kind of polished them up a little bit, and suddenly they're like, oh, they look great. Yeah. Right? They, they, yeah. they thought you'd change the shoes. Yeah, they thought I'd change the shoes. They thought the, sh they, they thought the horse was... Um, was walking funny. They said the horse was walking funny. He wasn't shod right, correctly, maybe off level or something like that. Uh -huh. And I know, I knew it wasn't off level. Um, but anyway, I went out and I brushed it up, cleaned it up, and made it look like new. And they, and the, it was a trainer actually. This person had gotten a new trainer. Uh, well, it's a real science, <clears throat> isn't it? To to know because each leg is going to take a slightly different. Thing, right? Well, and they're all different, just like us. Uh, our right foot doesn't land like our left foot. When we go to get new shoes, we look at our old shoes. They're worn off funny and this way or that. And same thing with horses. Uh -huh. Well, yeah. it's really fa it's fascinating to me. The book is Me and Clint. Rick Donahoe wrote it. He joins us in the studio today. And I think my favorite story in the book is the one where you know you've met the woman you want to marry. <laughs> and her name was Mary. It was Mary. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. We'll leave that to readers. I'm not going to give that away. That is so good, that story. <laughs> she was out there helping you, and uh, she really got into it. She helped you. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she did. Oh, yeah. That, wow. That's my girl. Tell us about the rest of your life, because you're not just a farrier. I I'm assuming you don't do this anymore. No, and you know, even my hero, Nelson, uh, down in Mobile, um, as good as he was um, and as desired as he was all over the country to do horses, he ended up working on motorcycles. He, yeah, he, he was 45, 50 years old, and he said, I've had enough of this. I'm, I like motorcycles. You know, they're just there. They're not biting you. They're not kicking you. I'm not dealing with people. I'm just dealing with a motorcycle. Mm. And and it turned out he was a it was a, a wonderful mechanic, and that's how he ended up his career. And and I thought to myself, God, he threw that whole thing away, all of that that experience and all that that he'd learned the hard way. He he'd learned the trade from an old black man who had gone blind and was still shoeing long after he'd gone blind. He came up he came up the hard way. That's an amazing story in itself. 
this yeah. guy who was still shooing and he couldn't see. Couldn't see. Talk no. about knowing your job. Knowing your job. But anyway, uh, there's Nelson, and, and he he didn't finish it out. And, and uh, you know, you wonder why you do these things. You look back and, you know, you can't put an old head on young shoulders. And you look back and you think, why did I ever do this? And maybe that's part of the reason we old people, we, we write these things. This is trying to figure out not only why we did it, but what were we doing, eh, you know. So you've done some other things. I know that you were a peppermint rancher, and there's people out there going, peppermint rancher, what the heck is that? Oh, yeah, I grew commercial peppermint. I was a small guy, little guy. I only had, I had 100 acres, and half of it, 50 acres, was commercial peppermint. We were out on the high desert where it grew well, sandy soil. And, um, yeah, I did that for about, but I did that in and around my shoeing, too. It's something I could do mm-hmm. both. And um, let's see. Yeah, and then I eventually helped start up. I started up a small mono, uh, concrete manufacturing business. And that's finally what I retired out of, that together with the farming. I had some cattle. And um, anyway, yeah, it was interesting. It's, it's not only inter- interesting what showing horses, but what it, what it will lead you into. <laughs> Almost anything you do after that seems pretty easy, and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> was Clint the last horse you ever shooed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just had him, and that was it, and then when he died, that that was the end of, of the, the career. Yeah, once in a while somebody would call, and if it was something I knew, somebody I knew, and I needed to help him out, I could go out and maybe do something else. But mostly it was just Clint and I just did him like clockwork for quite a few years, uh-huh. and um, it got so that he could barely stand up, and and uh, I got so I could barely lean over. So between us, uh, <laughs> I could just take my time. Though I could pick a nice day, and uh, take my time, and and give him some carrots or something, and and we get it done somehow. You had a rapport. <clears throat> yeah, and the people weren't even there. I'd. I'd go a year at a time without even seeing the people. They'd just leave a check nailed up on the tag room door, and I'd show up and do Clint, and and uh, and then I'd hang around and brush on them. And talk it sounds to them beautiful. Bit. It almost sounds like a form of meditation or, or even therapy for you to get out there with Clint and just the two of you together and nobody I, else around. Oh yeah, it was great. It was quiet. They had a beautiful place out in the country. That's one of the one of the bonuses of that business is you get out onto some beautiful places and meet some wonderful people. <laughs> well, Rick, I really enjoyed the book, and, and I'm glad that we were finally able to get you on the radio. Well, thanks, Vic. Thanks for having me. I, I put a few of these books down at Epic Bookstore down there downtown. That, that would be Yellow Springs. Yellow Springs, yeah. Yep. All righty. The book is Me and Clint. Rick Donahoe wrote it, and he's been my guest on the program. Do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom or inspiration for our uh, 82,000 listeners out there? 82,000. Okay, oh, 79,870. It's dropping. It's dropping fast. <laughs> Especially after this. <laughs> well, I would say um, 
Think twice before you become a failure. Um, have a plan B. Um, it looks a lot easier than it is. Everybody looks at it and they think, oh, I want to do that. But mm. but not after they've tried it, they really fall, fall to the wayside fast. So think about it before you invest too much in it. Well, Rick, I've always admired you, but after reading your book, my admiration has only grown because I would last about two seconds as a farrier. <laughs> well. Uh, or less. My guest has been Rick Donahoe. The book is Me and Clint, and you heard about it on the book nook. For the book nook, I'm Vic McEwnis. <laughs>